Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Today, I'm speaking to a marriage and family therapist. Her name is Laura Heck, and we talk about so many different things. We talk about self-care. We talk about the top issues that she sees with her clients, which surprise, spoiler alert, maybe is a better way to say it. A lot of it has to do with affairs. We talk about how to work on yourself. We talk about communication, conflict, all the things you don't want to miss listening to this entire episode. Let's dive in. There's a process to falling in love and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. I am joined here today with Laura Heck, who I actually met a couple of months ago when I was on her podcast, Mm -hmm. Marriage Therapy Radio. Such a fun time. I love what you and Zach, your co-host, do over there. So I'm excited to have a conversation with you today, Laura. Thank you. Yeah, I I would be the better half, so you really lucked out. I did. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell. I could tell from that that day we did the interview. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, tell the audience, the listeners, a little bit about what it is that you do and why you got involved in it. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I'm primarily... My, my day job, what I do to make money is uh, I am a helper. I'm a relationship expert. So I'm a certified Gottman therapist, um, which is a specialty certification that I go through through the Gottman Institute to be able to work with couples. But I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist and then in process of becoming an ASECT certified sex therapist. So I am all things couples. And so I work with couples in Washington and Utah and Oregon um, virtually. And I have a lot of couples that are kind of in the same I don't know, life cycle that I am in as a mom, as an entrepreneur, as, you know, a busy athletic human being, just people trying to spin all the plates at all the times Mm -hmm. and also try and keep the relationship alive and functioning and long lasting and purposeful. And so, yeah, I work with couples virtually as a therapist. I also have a podcast, Marriage Therapy Radio, which you had mentioned. Um, I host couples workshops through the Gottman Institute called the Art and Science of Love and also the Seven Principles Workshop. I have a program called the Epic Wives Experiment that I do quarterly. Uh, is that it? I think that might be it. <laughs> is, is, is there no more room to add anything else at the bottom? It's a lot. That's awesome. That's Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, it's interesting because that's what I do to make money, but I would really consider myself just um, like someone that is just, I'm a mom and a wife and, you know, living in this world, just trying to make meaning and purpose out of it every day. Yeah. So how do you balance being a working 
woman, a working Mm -hmm. business mom Mm -hmm. with time with your husband, time with your son, time to do the things you love to do. Like you said, you're an athletic person. Mm -hmm. I, I literally the past this week, this has been my life. I've been saying to myself, I have to change my calendar because this is not working. Right. Yeah. You're not able to do the things that you really want to do. With with maintaining my sanity, no, I'm not mm-hmm. able to do all the things I want to do. And, yeah. and so part of me is like, just how great would it be to start with a clean slate and rebuild everything the way that I would yeah. love it to be? But when you're yeah. in the middle of it, you can't. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just drop totally. every ball and and redo it. So how do you find that balance? Yeah. Well, I don't I would say that it's just like a season. I think I've become really good at recognizing that for a while I was in a season of growth and building, which is probably where you're at right now is growth and building. And when I was in that season, it was all encompassing. It was the thing that I focused on. It was um I kind of just recognized that I wasn't going to have balance in other areas of my life. So I kind of think, um, and I like this, this, I get this from Shalene Johnson, which is one of my favorite podcasters um, and mm-hmm. women entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. she says that there's like three things that you can kind of hold in your head as primary focuses and goals. And so when I was focused on growing my business and growing a name and all of that, that was what I was focused on. And my, you know, my physical health might not have been as up to par, up to snuff that I would have had it, but it was okay because I knew that that was just the season. So the season that I'm in right now is the season of kind of putting my business on autopilot. I've grown and recognizing now I can turn my attention toward like my physical health. This is the year that I'm going to compete. And so that's the year that I'm growing and um, changing on a physical side. And I'm also really tailoring my business to fit around that, which means that my hours are my hours of operation are only when my kiddo is in school. So that when he gets out of school, I am super focused on getting him to soccer practices and cooking delicious meals for my family and being really present for my husband who's traveling a lot. So I would say it's about recognizing the season that I'm in Mm -hmm. and knowing and accepting that that's just, that's how it's going to be for a while. And I can't do all things at a hundred percent. I can probably do three things at a hundred percent. The rest of it's going to have to be probably see quality work. Mm. That's a good recognition. What are you going to compete in? That's a really great question. I love to talk about that. Uh, so, I mean, I'm a runner like you are. Um, are you healed, by the way? Are you running? Are you on your feet? I'm on my feet. I am jogging. Okay. All right. I'm getting good there. For you. I'm good getting for there. you. Yeah. I have this year, I have some half marathons and it's mm-hmm. for me, it's not just doing the half marathon. It's now I'm actually competing and trying to get certain paces and all of that. But I'm also really trying to become a triathlete and I don't know how to swim. So that's, you know, Woo! an undertaking. Yeah. We'll see. That's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. I want to yeah. do, I want to do a Spartan race in October. That's my Can goal. I tell you my Spartan race story? Oh my gosh, please tell me your Spartan race story. When my son was two, I did a Spartan race with my husband. I will text you the picture. Anyway, I broke both of my wrists on the monkey bars. And no. I came I came out of the Spartan race in a double sling and my husband with the medal around his around his oh <laughs> But you should do it because it is so cool. It is a really cool race. Okay. Yeah, yeah just I will watch do it, those monkey bars. I'm not gonna break both my wrists. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. That's my goal. 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. fun story. Fun story. <laughs> good, good times for you. Right. So how do you, I mean, so you're in a primarily service-based business too, mm-hmm. with what you do. Yeah. I mean, how do you have the mental capacity to be fully present for your son and your husband at the end of the day? Mm. Well, I, I mean, I use very different parts of my brain. Like it, when I'm in a service, when I'm doing therapy, it's a one-sided relationship. It's me giving to my clients and it's them sharing their stories about their life with me. So I feel like that uses part of who I am, but not all of who I am. And I get to slip into something that is much more um, equal, authentic, raw when I'm with my family. And so that's another side of me. So I, it's interesting with therapy. I've always felt like I've been able to keep this balance because I show up with just a part of myself, not all of myself. And I think that with therapy, that's how it has to be. It has to be pretty boundaried. And Mm -hmm. I get to remove some of those boundaries with my family and friends. And for me, that's very freeing and energizing. Mm -hmm. That's good. Now, in your therapy work, when you work with couples, what are the top situations that you see? What are the presenting reasons people are coming to therapy with you? Yeah, uh, probably the biggest one I just dealt with this today was, um, you know, a couple is coming to me post affair, um, which is pretty stinking common. Um, I think we're at maybe 30 to 40% of all couples experience some sort of betrayal in their relationship related to an outside relationship, whether it be emotional or physical. Mm-hmm. And um, with that, that is a primary concern, but underneath it, it's the drifting of two lives. It's a lot of parallel mm-hmm. lives that end up in roommate syndrome. And that was the precursor to the affair was this roommate syndrome, but it wasn't enough to shake them out of what they were in. It was the affair that really woke them up, shook them up and said, okay, enough's enough. We need to get some help. This is a turning point. So what I'm seeing is a lot of couples that are living in this monotonous sort of lockstep of doing what life requires of them and losing that intimacy between them. But they're really great friends and they function pretty awesome as co-parents, but there just is a lack of intimacy. I see that so often with couples. Hmm. Define intimacy in the way that you're talking about it for the listeners. Mm, Okay. Um, I really love Terry Reel's definition of intimacy. He says, because I, when I say intimacy, I think a lot of people are thinking about sex, mm-hmm. um, sexual intimacy, but that's really one of five versions of intimacy that we can have as a couple. Uh, so Terry Reel talks about there being physical intimacy, sexual intimacy. So physical would be, um, you know, doing anything that could be active and physical together. So it could be, I experience a lot of intimacy when we're kayaking or hiking together, Mm -hmm. but it also could be, I I experience a lot of intimacy when we're holding hands and we're snuggling and it's non-sexual touching. So you have physical intimacy, sexual intimacy that doesn't necessarily need to be, um, you know, intercourse. It could be anything that's sexual uh, Mm -hmm. in nature. Then you have uh, intellectual intimacy. That's the sharing of thoughts or ideas. It's like, hey, I was listening to NPR today and they were talking about 
Will Smith, blah, blah, blah. What do you think about that? Um, and it's just sort of the sharing of those thoughts with one another. And then you have emotional intimacy, the sharing of your feelings. Um, I think of it as like, you know, kind of giving your partner a, a peep show into your heart. So you're kind of opening up the trench coat and letting them in a little bit. And then you have spiritual intimacy. And that doesn't necessarily have to be related to organized religion, but it's just this idea that you have common ground between the two of you, a feeling like there's something that's bigger beyond the two of you that you align on. So I love Terry Reel's definition because it really opens up the ways in which you can feel close and connected to your partner, that you have a shared something special um, that nobody else necessarily gets to tap into. And it doesn't have to be just sexual intimacy. It's more holistic than that. Yes, absolutely. Why do you think couples lose those areas of intimacy? Um, gosh, that's a great question. I just, I think (laughs) this is, I'm going to cite all my favorite people. So Esther Perel talks about when you're single, there's a whole lot. If you think of individuality and togetherness as being on a continuum, when you're single, there's a whole lot of focus on yourself. And then you join with this other person, you start dating them, and there's this big rush toward togetherness. And that big rush is finding out all the ways in which you can feel that closeness and that connection on all five of those facets. Mm -hmm. And um, as you move through time together, you start to move a little further away from that togetherness uh, back the other direction. And a lot of that is kind of the assumption that you already know everything there is to know about that person. Like, you know, I I know that my husband is not very interested in the stuff that I'm interested in. And I know that he's really interested in economics and the stock market and blah, 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 boring stuff. And so I start to assume, (laughs) right, that I know him. And I think um, that intimacy fades with time because it's the assumption that you know your partner already. And even with sexual intimacy, like you figure out all the positions and things that get your partner to orgasm and make them feel good. And then you're done exploring. You're done being curious and looking for the novelty in those sexual experiences. And um, and I think that without some of that curiosity and intentionality, we lose that intimacy with one another. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of, well, it makes a lot of sense though. I mean, I've been randomly listening to a lot of podcasts about dopamine recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just how, you know, how that affects our brain and the want for more and, you know, that Mm -hmm. pleasure, that pleasurable experience. And that's Mm -hmm. what we have most of the time in the beginning of a relationship. It's this Mm -hmm. increase in dopamine where the feelings feel really great. We're learning things we didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so over time, it's going to fade because biologically it does. I mean, right. Yeah. So there is this unique, I mean, there is this, I think, drive that we continue to have just throughout life of wanting to feel good. Mm -hmm. However, how we manage that and not entering into doing things that are ultimately going to be harmful to us or our relationships, I think that's the key here. Mm -hmm. So when we're, so when, when you're working with the people, when they get to you, well, no, before I get there. So how do you encourage couples? Mm -hmm to stay curious mm-hmm. when their minds are telling them, you know, everything when they're not yeah. having those feelings, that rush of, 
you know, butterflies in the stomach and and all of those fun feelings at the beginning of a relationship. Yeah. How do you you fight through that? Mm. It's funny that you're talking about dopamine because I have some fun stuff I want to mention about that and not get derailed in the question that you just asked. But uh, I will say um, another gentleman that I work with, Nate Bagley with Growth Marriage, he talks about being your partner's drug dealer in the sense of give (laughs) your partner the dopamine hits, like do things that encourage your partner to get that rush of dopamine and serotonin. And part of that is constantly reinforcing your partner and letting them know like, hey, when you do this thing, like when you walk out of the shower and you have the towel around your waist and I get to see your pecs and like your hairy chest and just kind of like makes me feel really good and like turned on, tell your partner that. And Mm. then they get the pleasure of being like, ooh, a little rush of dopamine, a little compliment. It feels good to be complimented, reinforced, all of these positive reinforcements. And so they learn that that feels good. Not only does it feel good to hear it from your partner, but their body is also sending those dopamine hits through their through their body and it's uh, reinforcing them on the inside. And so he says, be your partner's drug dealer, like give them little dopamine hits. You have some control over that release. And I love that. Um, yes. So to go back to the question of what do you do? Like when you start to lose that curiosity, I'm a huge fan of being interesting to your partner. Mm -hmm. Like if you start to, I, I like to use your own feelings as a guide that you're probably not alone. Like if you're feeling kind of bored or you're feeling like, man, my, my partner's boring. Like I know everything there is to know. I, I can, I know when they're going to poop. I know like what (laughs) they're going to say. I know everything about my partner use that as a guide that your partner's probably feeling the exact same way. And if that's Mm -hmm. the case, then surprise them. Be interesting. Read a book that you've never read. Like learn something new that you've never been interested in. Share that Mm -hmm. with your partner. Um, I think it was you that I was talking about. Were you talking about the pies? Is that you? Yes. Oh my gosh. I have used the pies with my clients so much. So I use that as a way of saying like, be something that you want your partner to come back to, like you had mentioned. And part of that is like, work on your pies, get interesting again. And if you're interesting, you can also be interested. And I love that piece of being curious, like spark some interest in yourself as well as in your partner. Yes. And it's such a simple framework for people to follow and remember (laughs) on a daily basis. Yeah, it's. I'm glad I'm talking to you because I have used the pies so much uh, with my clients. You know, whether they're separated or not, it's just Mm -hmm. been an amazing way for them to grab onto it and kind of keep themselves accountable as well of like keeping their eyes on their side of the road. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah. Because the tendency is to want to think only about your spouse and what they need to do and what they need to change, but you can't. Exactly. You can't change that. Exactly. No control over what they're doing can only right. control yourself. Mhm. Yeah, that's been a game changer with with uh giving me something awesome. different to reinforce with couples and it's mm-hmm. it's very easy for them to remember. Good. Yay, huge win. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, going back to the people who uh you're seeing a lot of they've been betrayed, there's been some kind of affair, whether emotional, mm-hmm. physical. So how do you help them work on restoring that? How do you help them on, um, well, what do you see? What are you seeing as the biggest hurdles at that point? Like what are they mm-hmm. working through in their minds about themselves or their relationship? And yes. what's, the, what's the plan from there? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think some of the bigger questions, especially with the ones where it's like the biggest shocker, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. This one blew me away. Um, Mm -hmm. is that here's this person that I know loves me. And, and the interesting part is like affairs happen in deeply, deeply loving relationships and with really good people, Mm -hmm. um, is the shocker that this is someone that, I trust this is someone that I love and I'm actually truly shocked that they would hurt me in this way. Mm-hmm. And affairs are not about hurting you. It's about the person who's in the affair. There is there is not mm-hmm. a thought in their mind about you. Yes, I mean, obviously they, there are fleeting moments, but they get very, very good at compartmentalizing. And when they're in the act of talking to somebody else in a way that's inappropriate or engaging in sexual activity, whatever it might be, it's not about you. Um, so that's that's a tough one for people to grapple with is this is someone, this is my person in the world. And I never believed that you would hurt me the way that you hurt me. And that's a big hurdle to overcome. Um, how do I work with couples? Uh, part of it is, this is Shirley Glass's work. She wrote a book called um, Not Just Friends. And she talks about having complete transparency and needing to be in overly um, communicative and being able to flip the script where there's been so much secrecy that now there's just total transparency. And for a lot of couples that can take a long time to uh, go through all of the events of the affair and being able to say, this is the person that I was with. These are the days that I was with them. These are the things that we talked about. This is why I felt good being in their presence Um, and allowing the betrayed partner to ask all the questions under the sun that are coming to mind and having the partner, the partner who was involved in the affair, the involved partner, answer those questions with as much truth as they possibly can. And yes, it hurts. And there's often a trickle of truth that comes out because they're afraid. They want to give you just enough information to help you feel like you have the truth, but not enough where they think it's going to hurt you. And that's hard because that's like ripping a slow Band-Aid off. Mm-hmm. Um So really trying to be as transparent as possible from the get-go is a big piece of the healing process of getting that truth back. Mm -hmm. Do you ever give your your clients the disclaimer of be sure you want to know the answers Mm -hmm. to the questions that you ask? Yeah, it's really, really hard. Yeah, I have, uh, there's certainly questions, especially, I mean, Shirley Glass talks about, there are some questions that you don't want to ask because you Mm -hmm. don't, your brain is automatically going to create images of that and it can be very traumatic. And your imagination is often much worse than what the truth is. And um, so, you know, I ask that folks don't ask too many really detailed questions that are sex related. because I don't want for you to be traumatizing yourself unknowingly. Yeah. And even hurting yourself for future reconciliation. Like when you mm-hmm. have sex again with your husband or your wife, that right. that's what you're going to think of. Right. And do you yeah. want that? 
Yeah, that's a hard one. And the other thing that I would mention too is as you're going through this process, you do want to have someone that you trust that you might be able to bounce ideas off of uh, individually, right? Like you need your own support system. And I would just be really cautious about the people that you invite into that inner circle to be aware of the affair. Because if you're really close with your mom and you go and you vent to your mom about your betraying spouse, and then you've healed, you've gone through the process of healing from the affair in this relationship, but your mom hasn't. And now you're asking that your mom re-engage with your spouse and be like, we're all good and fine now, mom. And your mom's stuck there with all these secrets. So I highly recommend that you find somebody that is a friend of the marriage that the two of you have agreed upon. And it might be a therapist. It might be a friend outside that you both trust will keep it to themselves. But you need your own support system. Just be cautious of the one that you choose. Mm-hmm. That's good. What are so other than affair issues? What are some of the other other issues you see people coming in with? Well, it's funny. I had a client yesterday say, "Well, it's kind of like the Holy Trinity," and the Holy Trinity he was saying is communication, conflict, and intimacy, and mm-hmm. that totally is. It's the mirepoix of, of couples therapy. So. Um, Boy, I hope I said that correctly. I was just thinking my husband who speaks French um, would probably correct me just now. But Girl, I didn't even know the word. And I'm like, look at her. She sounds super smart. I think it's great. <laughs> if, you, if you're a cook, uh, it's carrot, celery, and onion. That's your Oh, uh-huh. I, I see the word in my head now, but I've uh-huh. never known how to pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> if you shop at Trader Joe's, you know. You know. You know that word. Yeah. So that's really what couples are coming in with is they're, they will say, we love each other to pieces. We, we, you know, this is a lasting relationship, but holy moly, do we get tripped up just talking about some of the easiest, most mundane things. We just seem to trigger each other. Mm. So that would just be communication issues. Is, uh, is there a tone? Are you bringing the four horsemen into the communication mm. with the two of you? Are, are you um, unknowingly triggering one another? Um, yes. So there's communication is a big deal for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those pieces. Tone. It's interesting you say this. Yesterday, I had a phone call from someone who was apparently apologizing. That's what they said they were doing. But (laughs) I love this. (laughs) What was happening? Yeah. They were saying, listen, I am sorry that it came across that I was doing this, but here's why. I thought that you, this was the tone they were using. And I'm sitting here like, getting defensive, getting angry. Totally. Your words say that you're apologizing right now, but your tone says you're blaming me. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I took some deep breaths. I did not get Mm -hmm. defensive back on the phone with them, but um, Mm -hmm. I did ask them a very pointed question. I was like, listen, my question is why don't you trust Anyway, I can't get into it because of who's, I can't get into all the things. (laughs) Um, And, you know, but at the end of it, I just said, well, I appreciate you making the Mm -hmm. call. Like, I didn't even know how to handle the situation because I'm like, this was not an apology. Right. For sure was not an apology. So how do you handle that? Like, so how, tone, that's a huge one. And I think a lot of times people don't, they think, well, if I just say the words, 
That's yeah. that's what's needed. But what are all of the things that go into great communication that couples need to oh. know? Well, it's funny that you're talking about tone. I just I just picked my dog up from the dog trainer and uh, I have my seven-year-old son next to me and we're trying to learn the cues, right? And I'm getting it all mixed up. I'm like, wait, is it down? Uh-huh. Is it off? Is it like stop? I don't understand. Like, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. And, she, and I said, the previous dog trainer was teaching us other words. And she said, look, it doesn't matter what you say. It's a dog. It's the body language that you're using when you're saying it. And it's also the tone. She said, you could say, okay, you could say release, you could say clown. And my son just ate it up. He was like, that's great. I'm going to say clown. And he's going to hear that. And he's going to think it's release. The point that she was saying is it's not the words that you're saying to the dog. It's the tone and the body language. We're paying so much more attention to everything else rather than Mm. the actual words. And I'm like, gosh, that's brilliant. I'm going to use that in couples therapy because we get really, really distracted by tone because it's the big obvious thing that's triggering us. And if you grew up in a household where your dad raised his voice when he was upset and he, you know, he could just be saying empty the dishwasher and your husband comes in and he's saying something super benign, but you mm-hmm. register that tone and all of a sudden your body says alert, alert, danger, danger. You're going to respond into that tone because you've learned what that tone means to you. So tone is incredibly important. Um, body language also, you might unknowingly think like, I'm totally cool, calm and collected. And your partner's like, but you have your arms crossed and mm-hmm. like, you're kind of scowling. I'm reading other messages. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what the percentage is, but I remember hearing back in, you know, school that 90% of communication is not the words you say. It's everything else going along with it. The nonverbals. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I, now that you've said that, that sounds like what I learned as well. Yeah. It's crazy when you think about how communication has changed the past three years where so much less of it is in person mm-hmm. and you and I are able to see each other as we're right. recording on this Riverside thing. But, but even though I see you, mm-hmm. I can't, I only see this part of, I only see your face and the right. hand that, you know, that's up on your face. And so I wonder how much that is affecting people. And then, and now like how much when couples text each other and especially Yes. You get it. You get it. Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. you just tried to have a serious conversation with a text message and they can't read anything behind your intention of that message. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Although I have, I have told couples that get triggered with tone, like they just, you know, maybe they come from different walks of life. I have my New Yorker and everything that they say is like rushed and it's, you know, like a little spicy on the tone, but you know, it's not, they're not intending it to come across that way, like intent and impact. Uh, and then you have your like Californian that's like very sensitive and try and reads into that tone. I'm like, why don't you try emailing it? Like, just see how that goes for you. And I like to experiment with couples. Like if you're having a hard time with face-to-face communication because tone is an issue, then maybe try emailing. Or if you guys, mm. if you're a couple where you get over fights or you get into fights via text message, then put your phones away and have face-to-face communication and just find what works for you. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's just experimenting to see what works for the unique combination of the two of you. 
I heard I heard someone say the other day they were talking about their business being remote, and they said what has saved our our team is the use of emojis. Yeah, in in the written communication because they yeah. said that's the way we're able to see like are they kidding? Right. Are they not kidding when they say that that if they're if you're going to use text? And I mm-hmm. thought that's an interesting that's an interesting way to view it as well. Now, do you think the goal would be for every couple to be able to have any conversation face-to-face? No, I don't think there's... I think the goal is to understand one another. And Mm -hmm. if you get off track to repair, I don't care how couples have conversation. Like if you feel close and connected by swapping emojis all day long and having like GIFs, is it GIFs or GIFs? Who knows? No one knows. Nobody, yeah. right? <laughs> Who came up with it anyway? Um, yeah. So if you're, if that's how you feel close, if you come home and you're like, man, I just loved getting all those silly gifts from you all day long, mm-hmm. then awesome. That's great. I'm not going to be the therapist that says it doesn't count. That was like cheap, you know, text messages that you sent to yeah. one another. You should be sitting down and having a 10 minute face to face conversation. I think as long as the two of you feel connected, that's what works for you. Hmm. Fascinating. I love, yeah, I can totally see that. My, my husband got rid of his smartphone several years ago. It's probably cool. been like five years ago now. But one of the things I miss is I cannot send <laughs> until he no, got his true. new flip phone. I couldn't even send him an emoji. It wouldn't come through <laughs> on his Yeah. Screen. Yeah. But I do miss the, the memes and the gifs or gifs that we would send back mm-hmm. and forth. So now he just emails them to me. That's oh my it. gosh. You know what? Take it a step further. Get rid of email and just start faxing those emojis over. Yes. Right. <laughs> send it by Print carrier. It put it in the put it in the Harry Potter owl and send it your way. Yeah. Singing telegrams. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm all I'm all for it. The man I'm with a flip phone over here. A man with a flip phone. So in in Gottman's Train in the Gottman training. I know that you know yes. this whole five to one principle. Uh-huh. Would you tell our listeners about what that is and how they yeah. can do it in their relationships? Sure. Yeah. So um, there's there's two uh, ratios that Dr. Gottman is looking at, and he says that healthy relationships have a really positive balance. Like a, if you imagine like an emotional bank account that both of you are constantly contributing to. Um, healthy relationships have a 20 to 1 ratio of positives to negatives. So just in everyday interactions, cooking in the in the morning, uh, loading the kids up for school, whatever it might be, you have 20 positive things for every one negative. And I like that because I think it's realistic to recognize that in happy, healthy, wonderful relationships, you're still going to have withdrawals. You're still going to have these negative things that occur. Um, between the two of you. It might be a snarky tone. It might be that you miss your partner's uh, you know, bid to connect. Um, mm-hmm. It might be that they ask you to pick up milk from the grocery store and you forget to swing by the store on the way home, whatever it might be. So that's everyday interactions. The five to one ratio is that even in conflict, healthy couples are still overweighted with positivity, five positives for every one negative. So that's the five to one ratio. Um, and you know, it's little things like just giving your partner eye contact in the midst of conflict. It's repairing when you recognize that you came out a little hot 
out of the gates and you repair and you say, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. <laughs> Had a moment there. Can Do you mind if I start over? And then you start over and you're a little more gentle. Um, mm-hmm. Positives could be humor. It could be touching your partner gently on the arm. It could be saying, I'm sorry, I'm distracted. Let me put my phone away. These are all positive things that you can do. Um, and so mm-hmm. in healthy relationships, even in the midst of conflict, you're still balancing out those negative withdrawals with five positives. So that would be a healthy ratio to shoot for. That's good. And you said, and the 20 to one is Mm -hmm. the healthiest. Is that what you said? 20 to one is everyday interactions. So, you know, Dr. Gottman was famous because he was watching couples. Yeah, He was spending time with, you know, just observing couples in their everyday habitat of the apartment lab. And what he was noticing was that couples that were staying together over time for extended periods of time, um, when he goes back and looks at that videotape, he's like, you know what? Like these couples, there's an immense amount of positivity between the two of them. They're engaged in good conversation. There's humor. There's affirmations. And yes, there's negatives, but they're really balancing like, oh, overbalancing it out with positivity. And those are the couples that were lasting. And even when they were getting in these tiffs and these arguments, they were still balancing the five positives with every one negative. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. How do you, how much of, how much would you say successful therapy is teaching a person to have great self-awareness of what they are doing? Yeah. I mean, don't, a hundred percent. And the only thing you have control over in your relationship is you. And so Mm -hmm. if you are, I mean, I always say that couples therapy is really just individual therapy happening at the same time. And a lot of that is just focusing on what do I have control over? How am I showing up in this relationship? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what you're talking about is emotional intelligence is being able Mm -hmm. to recognize your own emotions and how they're impacting others, but also being able to read and interpret your partner's emotions. And a lot of that is truly self-awareness. So I think a lot of being in a healthy relationship is that self-awareness, that practice, that emotional intelligence. Mm. What is your favorite moment when you're working with people in therapy, whether it's an individual or a couple? What is I had that? it. I had it the other night. Yeah. It's, it's taking the leaning out partner, um, the partner that might seem cold or shut down or disengaged and then seeing a wall come down um, or uh, a, a true authentic release of emotion. And that to me, I mean, I had that moment in session where I saw this male partner cry for the first time and I just kept my mouth shut and I did not interrupt. I just listened and watched this unfold. And I was I'm like, man, they don't know it, but this is going to be a moment that they remember for years to come of this breakthrough moment in therapy. And, um, I never know what's going to cause that to happen. They have to be ready for it. Um, but it was beautiful. And I just kind of felt on cloud nine as a therapist. Sometimes it's hard being a therapist, right? When your couples Mm -hmm. are struggling, but when there's some breakthrough moments, it really fuels you up, um, recharges you as a therapist and gives you hope that what you're doing is good work. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you do self-care? 
Mm, I take a lot of showers. I'm a very clean human. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's my most immediate boundary that I establish is immediately after therapy, um, my last session, I will often either go into my play clothes, which I mentioned to you that I do. Yes, I love Uh, it. Man, that just takes me back to being like six years old and coming home from school and my mom being like, put on your play clothes. Um, So yeah, I change into my play clothes. I'll bathe before bed so I don't take uh, therapy energy into my bedroom. Mm -hmm. And um, I work out a lot. I mean, I say a lot, but you know, I I move my body and I think that that is one of the most effective stress releasers of all time. Yes. I agree with you. I agree. Yeah. With you. Well, Laura, what would you give our, our listeners for some final parting thoughts, specifically around the area of communication and conflict and how to best handle that when you experience it? Because you will experience mm. it in your relationship. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we kind of mentioned this already. I just thought of this, which I I might practice now that I think about it, is that it's a lot easier to receive feedback if you don't have that self-awareness. We have a lot of blind spots. Mm-hmm. We might, might not be aware of habits that we have gotten into or just patterns of communication that we grew up with. And rather mm-hmm. than asking your partner, wouldn't it be so fun to just take like a poll of your most treasured trusting people that you know are going to be really real with you and say, hey, um, I'm just trying to get better here at communicating. And I know I have some blind spots. Um, Can you tell me at least one annoying habit that I have that I might not be aware of? Good. Yeah. And, you know, they might tell you, yeah, you're kind of a defensive human being or you talk a lot about yourself or, you know, you, you, um, you have this tone when you talk to your kids and it sounds really condescending. And it's like, Mm -hmm. gosh, thank you so much. Be ready for the hard truth and say, thank you. Um, And then, you know, quietly think negative thoughts about them. (laughs) 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 I think it's good to, you know, have somebody else that you love point out your blind spots and have it be not your partner. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's wise. Really wise. Mm. Laura, where can people find you more about you, what you do, all the things? Cool. Yeah. So my website, lauraheckTherapy.com. I am not a social media girl. Um, I, you know, if I could flip phone it like your husband, I would. So it's probably not a great spot to find me, but you can also go to marriagetherapyradio.com or listen to marriage therapy radio on whatever, you know, podcast streaming um, thing that you have. Those are the two main spots. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and I'm excited for you to get ready for your weekend and relax. Yeah. Thank you. Here are my key pies takeaways from today's episode with Laura Heck. You probably heard all throughout the episode, she was talking about the pies, talking about being curious, but in order to be curious in your relationship and to encourage your relationship to foster and grow more, it's important to be a person that's worth being curious about. That's not exactly how she said it, but that's the sentiment behind it. Be an interesting person. That's all about the pies, physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual attraction. If you want a reminder of what those are and how those can work in your life and in your relationship, then be sure to go back and listen to the first episode of this podcast. It's all about teaching you what the pies are and how 
to use them. And it's a great refresher as well. So work on those pies. My second key pies takeaway is to remember that there is always hope, even in difficult situations. Remember, she even said that the most recent research out there is around 30 to 40% of marriages are affected by infidelity. Some of the research I've looked at has even said up to 50%, but it's hard to know the true number because we can't assume that everyone's going to be honest in answering that question. So the hypothesis is that number could actually be higher than what we even think that it is right now. That's not to lose hope. That's not to make you think everything is terrible. Why even get married or stay in a marriage if it's just going to be hurt by affairs? But the truth of the matter is, just because it's happened to you, if it's happened to you, it actually means that there's a lot of hope on the other side of it because you're not married to a bad person, more than likely. More than likely, you're married to a very good person who has just done some bad things. But guess what? Your marriage can still be put back together and there's hope for that. And then my third key pies takeaway is it is so important to watch your body language when it comes to communication and not just your body language, but think about that tone that you're using and even asking your spouse, Hey, is there anything I can do to have a better tone? Or is there anything in my body language that when we talk about hard things can make it difficult that can really help you to see where your blind spots are. And then even asking your friends, what are some things I do? What are some habits that I have that are unbecoming? And then listening to their feedback, thanking them for it. Don't use this as an opportunity to get defensive or justify. You asked them for feedback. So listen and then take what they say and see how you can apply it to becoming someone that is a better listener and a better communicator. Because ultimately communication is really about, does the person feel like you care? Are you leaning in, listening, listening in order to hear, to understand, not listening just to respond? There's another podcast episode I did about that, about how to listen to respond. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Remember to share this episode with someone who could benefit from it. Share it with a friend, share it with a family member, maybe your sister, your brother, Maybe your parents, who knows? Share it with someone you think would really benefit and please leave a review. You can leave up to five stars on Apple. That is the best way to help support this podcast and help it to reach even more people. Until next week, stay strong.